Hello, this is Lafayette Faust, creator of the Nevermore Hollows podcast. Thank you for making the show a success. Please take a moment to subscribe, give five stars, comment, and share the show with your friends. It's the best way to help us grow and to be able to continue to provide quality horror content. Also, please support our new art director, Chris Madman Goins, at Black Sheep Studios TN on Instagram. He has some amazing Nevermore Hollows art for sale, signed by the both of us, as well as many other original pieces I think you're going to love. Now, for you horror hounds who like to have a good laugh, I invite you to check out my other podcast. It's called The Three Uncool Cats. In it, my two friends and I sit in a basement and discuss music, movies, and whatever else comes into our warped minds. I would really appreciate it if you would give it a listen. Now, with that out of the way, I invite you to sit back, turn on a light, and prepare yourself. The van's headlights did little to illuminate the road ahead. Marley leaned over the steering wheel, peering out the front windshield. He was both excited and scared. He couldn't believe he was driving down a back road in Nevermore Hollows, arguably the most haunted place in America, on his way to meet with a ghost-hunting outfit at the infamous Creep Mansion. Sitting beside him in the passenger seat was Shelley. When Marley first met Shelley, he couldn't believe the other guys back at school wouldn't even give her a second look. Sure, she dressed like a librarian from the 1980s, with big nerd glasses and knee-length skirts, but she was naturally pretty with big brown eyes and a curvy figure. He found her incredibly sexy. In the van with them were also Chuck and Lola. They all shared a passion for the paranormal. And last year they had formed a club which they called Zoinks because they'd come to realize that their collective love of all things spooky had begun in their childhood growing up watching Scooby-Doo. They'd heard the rumors of vampire attacks, demon possession, terrifying and undefinable monsters that crawled around the hospital after midnight and knew that Nevermore Hollows was the place to go for their first paranormal trip together. How much further, Chuck said. He was tall, good-looking, and built for sports, though he played none. He was sitting on the bench seat in the back. Another mile, Shelley said. I can't believe we're doing this, Lola said. She was the pretty one. Bright smile, sparkling eyes, blonde hair pulled into a ponytail. Melvin was the fifth person in their group, but wasn't riding with them. He was a wannabe rock star with a wild bush of curly hair and sideburns. He was typically unreliable in any given situation. 
Melvin better not let us down, Shelley said. This is our first time doing this together. Everyone has their role to play to make it successful. I'll kill him if he messes this up for us. He'll be there, Marley said. They turned off the country road onto a driveway that was little more than an overgrown path. It was lined with towering trees, with thick branches that snaked out overhead like the bodies of massive serpents. Spanish moss swayed in a weak breeze. Eventually, it ended in an overgrown courtyard in front of the hulking mansion. There were no lights on in the structure, but there was a Ford Explorer with the logo of the ghost hunters that were to meet them there. They parked the van and everyone got out. Let's go meet our ghost hunter friends, Shelley said. She handed everyone a flashlight. They walked up the steps onto the rickety porch. The door stood ajar and a faint glow came from inside. Hello, Shelley called out. Anybody here? Yes, someone said. Hang on a sec. After a moment, a woman in her twenties with a bright smile and kind eyes came into view and stopped just inside the house. She held out her hand to Shelley. I'm Peyton, Peyton Stein. I'm one of the founders of the Nevermore Ghost Hunting Society. Matt is inside working on the cameras. Julio will be here soon. He had to stop for snacks. It's going to be a long night. Nice to meet you. I'm Shelley. These are Chuck, Lola, and Marley. We appreciate you helping us get our own ghost hunting business up and running by showing us the ropes. Oh, it's our pleasure, Peyton said. But there's only four of you. In your emails, you said there'd be five. Shelley gave a peeved smirk. That would be Melvin. He'll be along shortly. No worries, Peyton said. She led them inside the mansion. She had her own flashlight illuminating the way. There's no electricity, and we don't have cell service. It ended when you turned off the road, but we hope to have a workaround. She led them into a spacious room that had once served as a dining room. On a folding table sat two laptops. Sitting in a camping chair in front of the laptops was a beefy man in his late twenties with a beard. He stood and gave a wave. I'm Matt. I'm the tech geek. Someone stepped into the room behind them. They turned to see a thin Hispanic man in his twenties with curly black hair wearing a My Chemical Romance t-shirt and jeans. He was carrying two large bags. He held them up and said, Got everything sugary and chocolatey. Then, after he set the bags on the floor next to the table, he said, I'm Julio. Everyone introduced themselves. Then, Shelley said, We know a lot about Nevermore, but not a lot about Creep Mansion. What can you tell us about it? Well, to start, the ghost of Lucinda Creep supposedly haunts the premises, Julio said. One night, over a hundred years ago, Lucinda held a seance here. And after everyone retired for the night, she crept into the rooms and murdered them with an axe. And it was extremely gruesome. She told the sheriff at the time that they had all been possessed by demons during the seance, and she was saving them by killing them.
There was a quiet moment while everyone conjured grisly images of what that must have looked like. No one believed her, Matt said. They thought she was insane, and they committed her to Morningstar Sanitarium where she eventually took her own life. Adding to those little nuggets of creepiness, Peyton said, Dunwich Forest surrounds this place, and a lot of people have claimed to see all kinds of cryptids wandering around. And also the family cemetery literally sits in the backyard, and there have been sightings of ghosts and such out there as well. And believe it or not, that's not all, Matt said. There have been reports of a man who calls himself Professor Grieve using the family mausoleum in the cemetery as his kill room. Professor Grieve? Lola asked. Who's he? A really bad dude, Matt said. He used a knife to carve his face, leaving thick scars that resemble a jack-o'-lantern. Ew, Lola said. She hugged herself in disgust. Why would he do that? He's just crazy, Matt said. There's a kind of nursery rhyme that started circulating a while back that some believe explains it all. It goes like this, Julio said. Professor Grieve carved his face because he hates the human race. And if you see him with his knife, he has come to take your life. There was a moment where nobody said anything, and they let the rhyme sink in. Finally, Peyton said, We interviewed two little boys who were abducted by him a while back. They thankfully escaped before he could cause them any real harm. And they told us that it wasn't a knife that he used. Instead, it's one of those old-style razors. Not sure why the rhyme states it's a knife. Either way, it's pretty messed up. We heard a rumor about an incident a while back at a diner where a guy claimed to be the Tooth Fairy, Chuck said. What can you tell us about that? Matt shrugged. That's one of the crazier things that have happened here. A grungy homeless guy walked in with long greasy hair holding a pair of dirty pliers and a bag full of human teeth and started killing people. He kept saying he was the tooth fairy. Well, it seems you chose the perfect place to teach us the art of ghost hunting, Shelley said. It looks like we'll get a little bit of everything scary and macabre. Peyton nodded appreciatively. It made the most sense to use this location to help teach you what to look for. Julio checked his watch. Okay, I say we gear up and split up. It's full-on dark outside, and that seems to be when the spooks come out. There's no cell service, Matt said. He pointed to a black cube sitting beside the laptops. But we're going to try to use this portable Wi-Fi device. We're deep in the countryside and it may not work. But let's see if our cameras will connect. He handed each one of them a GoPro-style camera and they spent the next few minutes successfully connecting them to the laptops via the Wi-Fi device. Each camera had a touch display that had each of their feeds along the top of the screen. With just a touch, they could make any feed larger for viewing. Then, they split into groups. 
Shelley and Chuck followed Peyton to the second floor. Marley and Lola went to the third floor with Julio. Matt stayed on the first floor, monitoring the cameras via the laptop. The connections were not as stable as he'd hoped, but they were working. There are four rooms on this floor, Peyton said when they reached the top of the stairs. Lucinda used the bedroom to the far left. The other three were for guests. I heard that it got pretty crazy that night, Shelley said. I mean, during the actual seance? Peyton nodded. Oh, it did. The walls seeped blood, and items were thrown about the room, cutting and bruising people. Lucinda said it sounded as if a portal to hell had opened, and they were hearing the host of the damned wailing in abject misery. Shelley shivered. Terrifying. Oh, I'm sure it was, Peyton said. Lucinda ended the seance, and the paranormal activity seemed to have stopped. Eventually, after some stiff drinks, everyone felt they were safe enough to retire to their bedrooms. But, later that night, Lucinda crept into each room and murdered them all, and she used their blood to write disturbing messages on the walls. What kind of messages? Chuck asked. I'll show you, Peyton said. She pressed a button on her flashlight, changing the color of the light. With a UV flashlight and luminol, you can detect new and old bloodstains. I added luminol to this wall just before you arrived. She shined the light on the wall before them, and dripping words appeared, as if manifesting from the afterlife, glowing faintly. They spelled out, I am the eater of souls. Shelley shivered again with delight. That is so freaking spooky. I love it. Let's split up, Peyton said. That will give us the best coverage. Most of the rooms still have furniture in place. It's dilapidated, to be sure, but we still need to be aware of that. Sometimes the spirits like to throw things at us. For real? Chuck asked. Peyton nodded. It has happened on occasion where a small object of some sort is hurled at us. She pointed to the room farthest to the right. That was Major Jeremiah Calhoun's room. He was a war hero and was at the seance that night. After Lucinda crept in while he was asleep and chopped him to death, she used his blood to write this exact message. Can I take that room? Shelley said. Let's take a quick break. I'm Michael Severs, the writer, producer, and creator of The Silver King's War, a podcast series about my father's Second World War as a B-26 bombardier. Stanley L. Silverfield, a first lieutenant in the United States Army Air Corps from Birmingham, Alabama, rode in the nose the greenhouse of the famed Martin Marauder. You can find The Silver King's War wherever you listen to podcasts. Peyton nodded. Sure. Remember, your camera is set to night vision and you can use it to see everyone else's feed. Shelley nodded. 
Got it. Just tap their name to pull up their feed. Easy peasy. Correct, Peyton said. The cameras are also equipped with microphones, and so we'll be able to communicate that way. They split up, with Shelley going into Major Calhoun's room, Chuck stepping into Lucinda's, and Peyton staying in the hallway. They could see that Julio and Lola and Marley had also separated and taken up positions on the third floor. Matt called out each of their names, asking if they could hear and confirming that he had all their links on his computer screens. Then he said, Lights out. Everyone switched off their flashlights. Matt could see they were all slowly turning about, getting used to the night vision cameras being their eyes. For the next 15 minutes, nothing happened. Then, Shelley's camera feed jerked toward the closet in Major Calhoun's room. Did you hear that? She whispered. Everyone had heard it. A brief, long scratch on the other side of the closed closet door. They could also hear Shelley's heavy breathing. Careful, Matt said. They all watched via their cameras as Shelley crept toward the door. The creepiness of the moment enhanced by the eerie green glow of the night vision camera. The scratching came again. Furtive and quick, everyone held their breath. They could see Shelley's quivering hand as she reached for the doorknob. The door burst open and a tall man stormed out. His face was covered in long vertical scars. His teeth were filed into wicked points, giving him the appearance of a fleshy jack-o'-lantern. Shelley screamed as the man knocked her to the floor. The angle of her camera now looked up at him as he loomed over her. In his right hand, he held an antique straight razor. Cat quick, he slashed down with the blade. Her camera cut out for two long heartbeats, then flickered back on. The view was from floor level, pointing toward the dark closet. Shelley had stopped screaming. They could hear breathing scuffling. Then, they watched in horror as the man dragged a bloody Shelley into the closet and shut the door. Lola began to cry. Chuck yelled, Shelley! Then, he ran out of Lucinda's bedroom and down the hall to Major Calhoun's room. Peyton followed behind, and they shot through the door and stopped in shock as they saw blood splattered across the floor. Dear Lord, Peyton said, her heart pounding. Matt, Julio, you know who that was, right? Yes, Julio said, his voice quivering. That, it, it was Professor Grieve. That son of a bitch isn't a paranormal entity, Chuck said. His hands were balled in the fists at his side, his face a mask of rage. That means I can kill him. He started toward the closet. Hang on, Peyton said. 
He has a razor. We have nothing to defend ourselves. Chuck glanced around the room. He stepped over to the dilapidated and moldy poster bed. He broke one of the posts from the frame and hefted it like a baseball bat. I'm going to smash his brains out. Seeing that he couldn't be stopped, Peyton decided to help, even though she was terrified. She stepped over to the door, grabbed the handle so that Chuck could stay focused and have both his hands free to club the twisted bastard. She yanked the door open. Everyone fully expected to see Professor Greaves standing over Shelley's slashed and bloodied body. But the closet was empty. Chuck stepped forward, switched on his flashlight, shone it inside. There was only a thick smear of blood on the floor. Grieve and Shelley were gone. I thought he didn't have paranormal powers, Chuck said. How, how did he disappear? He's not supposed to, Peyton said. She felt sick looking at the thick blood curdling on the floor. Chuck turned to her and grimaced. I'm going to find him, and I'm going to kill him. Where do we even start? Peyton said. You said he took a couple of boys to a mausoleum after abducting them a while back, Chuck said. Yes, she replied, seeing where Chuck was going with the question. You think he somehow took her to the Creep family mausoleum in the cemetery out back? Chuck narrowed his eyes. It's a place to start. Matt chimed in via the camera speakers. Everyone meet here in the video room. Then we can go together to the mausoleum, but hurry. If she's still alive, we need to act fast. Everyone quickly converged into the video room with Matt. Lola's eyes were red from crying. Marley looked bewildered. Chuck was angry, on edge, ready to act. Julio and Matt exchanged nervous glances with Peyton. What the hell do we do? Marley said. Do we even have any weapons? I have this, Matt said. He picked up a Glock that was lying behind one of the laptops. I have another under the seat in the Explorer. But guns don't work on ghosts, Julio said. Professor Grieve is a man, Matt snapped back. He might have some kind of supernatural powers, but he's still a damn man. Bring that gun and let's go check the mausoleum, Chuck said. He turned and headed toward the door, still carrying the bedpost as a club. Matt took a quick glance to make sure everyone's feed was still active on the monitors, then followed Chuck. Lola was wringing her hands. But what if they aren't there? What if they're still somewhere here in the mansion? Anything's possible, Marley said. Since Chuck and Matt are going to the mausoleum, the rest of us could check the rest of the house. Peyton didn't like where this was going. Splitting up is dangerous. There's strength in numbers. Maybe, Marley said, but 
Time is against us here. We need to cover as much ground as possible in the shortest time. If Shelley is still alive, she won't be for long. Peyton saw the logic, but hated they were in this terrible situation. Okay. How about we do it this way? I'll go with you, Marley. We can check the second and third floors. Lola and Julio, you take this floor in the basement. Lola and Julio nodded and left the room to begin their search of the main floor. Lola made sure to keep close to Julio. When they had left, Marley walked over to the fireplace and snatched a rusted fire poker. Ghosts are supposed to hate anything made of iron, right? Then we'll just use this as a weapon. Come on. He and Peyton climbed back up the stairs to the second floor and began systematically checking each room. Chuck and Matt hustled to the cemetery. The sky was clear and a half-moon cast a milky glow onto the property. They pushed through the wrought-iron gate and began making their way around gravestones to the mausoleum. They had strapped their cameras on their chests so to record their progress and keep their hands free. The door has been jimmied, Matt said when they were about twenty yards away from the mausoleum. I see, Chuck said. He held the bedpost tight. He moved to the left side of the door and motioned Matt to step to the right. When they had taken their positions, Chuck gave the door a push. It swung slowly inward. As it did, someone screamed. A woman rushed out of the dark mausoleum. Her head was covered with a wild nest of shoulder-length gray hair. Her face was a mask of insane rage. She clawed at Matt. He yelled and tried to step back, confusion on his face. He had been expecting grieve and was hesitant to shoot. She sunk her gnarled fingers into his hair, yanked his head back, and sunk her teeth into his neck. Matt tried to scream, but only a gargled, choking sound escaped his ruined throat. The hag let go of Matt, and he fell to the ground. Blood had covered his camera lens, blocking the video. She turned her attention to Chuck. The last thing the others were able to see via his camera feed was the hag clawing at his face. Then, the link went black. Lola's knees buckled when she witnessed the attack. And she almost fell, but Julio caught her. He led her to an old chair and helped her sit down. It was her, Lola sobbed. That, that hag, it was Lucinda Creep. She killed them. She killed them. They heard footsteps as Marley and Peyton ran into the room. Marley's eyes were wild. Peyton's shining as she tried to hold back tears. Julio was shaking. Was it her? Was it Lucinda? Peyton shook her head in disbelief. It looked like her, but how? Julio let her confirmation sink in. Well, we've 
heard of ghosts being able to manifest it themselves into corporeal form for a short time, but we've never experienced it. Lola was shaking, sobbing. We're all going to die if we don't get out of here right now. I'm calling the sheriff, Peyton said. Hang on, Marley said. Let's get out of here first. Let's get in one of the cars and leave. You can call the sheriff when we're on the road. I agree, Julio said. I have the keys to the Explorer. We can all fit in there. Let's go. They followed him out onto the dark porch. It was quiet. There were no night noises whatsoever. No cicadas. No crickets. No owls or frogs. They stood there for a moment, listening, peering into the dark. The explorer was fifteen yards or so from the porch. Under the circumstances, it felt as if a vast field of death were between them. Julio held up the key. Unfortunately, it's an older model and doesn't have a remote start. They slowly made their way down the steps, glancing around, looking for danger. Then they quietly stepped onto the weed-choked path that cut through the yard to the explorer. Julio mustered up his courage and sprinted ahead. He popped open the driver's door and slid inside. As he did, the interior lights flared on, and Lola screamed when she saw Professor Greaves sitting in the back seat. The weak yellow light made the scars on his face seem black, as if his skin had split open to show the darkness of his soul. He used his left hand to grab Julio's hair and yank his head back against the headrest, exposing his neck. He used his right hand to drag the razor across his throat. Blood sprayed the windshield. Then he began plunging the blade over and over into Julio's chest, his throat, and his face. Just then, they heard Lucinda's insane cackle. It came from behind them inside the house. <laughs> Run, Marley yelled. He shot toward his van, which was parked behind the explorer. As he ran, a man in a filthy rain slicker stepped from behind the van. He was big, had shoulder-length greasy hair that fell down over his face. He wore black combat boots, and in one hand he held a dirty pair of pliers. In the other, a clear half-gallon size bag filled with human teeth. In Marley's panic-filled dash, he didn't see the man. Lola and Peyton screamed for him to look, but it was too late. The man shot toward him, seemingly too fast for a man his size, and rammed into Marley, knocking him to the ground. He dropped the bag of teeth and straddled Marley. He grabbed him by the chin, wrenched open his mouth, and plunged the pliers down. Lola was in full-on panic mode. She shot around the side of the house, trying to put as much distance between her and the monsters that were killing her friends. Peyton's heart hammered in her chest. She was also in danger of losing herself to panic, but she forced herself to remain calm, to think, 
she had to try to save Lola. So she steeled herself and shot off after her. She could hear Marley screaming. She heard the man in the raincoat say, I am the Tooth Fairy, and I've come to claim what's mine. She rounded the corner and saw Lola as she reached the back corner of the house. She heard another one of Lucinda's maniacal screams. Then, Lucinda shot out of the dark and swung an axe, burying the blade deep into Lola's stomach. Lola gave a choked grunt and looked at Lucinda with wide eyes. Her mouth fell open, and blood spilled over her chin and dripped down onto her shirt. Shit, 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 Peyton said. She turned and ran toward a barn that sat forty yards away. As she ran, her mind raced at how unlikely it was to have so much paranormal activity at one location, no matter how cursed that location may be. Behind her, Lucinda cackled. I have to rid you of your demons, bitch. Peyton glanced over her shoulder to see that Lucinda was giving chase. Then, to her dismay, the Tooth Fairy and Professor Grieve rounded the front of the house and ran after her as well. There has to be something in the barn that I can use as a weapon, she thought. There were two doors at the front of the barn, the large sliding door and a smaller man-sized door. Both were closed. She prayed at least one of them was unlocked. She slammed into the smaller door, frantically grasping the handle. Oh, thank God, she said when the door swung open. She shot inside and slammed the door shut beside her. There was an old wooden chair sitting against the wall. She grabbed it and propped it under the handle. She knew it only by her a few seconds, but every second counted. She glanced over at the big door noticed that it was blocked with large bales of hay. There was a rusty pitchfork sticking out of one of the bales. She wasn't sure if the pitchfork would work against any of the monsters chasing her, but it felt good to have it as a weapon anyway. She saw that at the back of the barn was another large sliding door. It was not fully closed, leaving a sliver of an opening she could use to escape. She took the pitchfork and slipped through and ran to the edge of the forest. As she did so, she heard them banging on the small door, trying to get in. By the time she reached a tree line, she heard them inside the barn. Then, from the tree line, she ran into the cemetery. She knelt in the dark behind a gravestone. Her mind raced. Something about all this didn't add up. She slowed her hammering heart by taking long, steadying breaths. As her mind cleared, she devised a plan. She took her phone from her pocket, praying she was still somehow connected to the portable Wi-Fi. Thank God, she whispered. She was connected, though the signal was weak. She dialed 911. When the dispatcher answered, she whispered, This is Peyton Stein. I'm at the Creep Mansion. People have been killed. Send help. Hurry. Then, without further explanation, she disconnected the call and silenced her phone because she didn't need to be distracted by the dispatcher's questions. She had to focus. She had to survive.
Now that she'd called for help, she needed to get to one of Matt's guns. She considered heading to the mausoleum to get the one he'd carried with him, but decided it was too risky. He may have dropped it, or Lucinda may have taken it. She decided to go for the one he kept under the driver's seat in the Explorer. Then she was going to drag Julio's body out of the car and hopefully drive the hell out of this place. She could hear them still inside the barn. Surely they were close to realizing she wasn't hiding there. This was her last chance. She ran from behind the gravestone, out of the graveyard, and around the far side of the mansion, keeping it between her and the barn. She rounded the corner and headed toward the Explorer. She quickly opened the driver's door. Julio's body was slumped over the center console. The blood spray inside the vehicle looked like some demonic painter's idea of surrealism. The smell of death wrapped around her like a burial shroud. She gagged, forced herself to look for the gun. She retrieved it from a holster and looked for the keys. But the keys were gone. She didn't see them on the floorboard and didn't have time to look further because she heard Lucinda's wicked cackle. She was close. (laughs) They were close. She quietly closed the door, her mind racing as she looked for a place to hide. She caught movement from the corner of her eye. She turned, brought up the gun just as Lucinda rounded the front of the explorer. Lucinda's face was contorted with maniacal glee, but her eyes shot wide when she saw the gun. Peyton pulled the trigger. The blast was thunderous. The slug hit Lucinda in the chest. She was knocked to the ground, a ragged hole in her moldy dress. To Peyton's surprise, dark blood blossomed around the hole. How could that be if she were a ghost? Before she could consider the possibility further, Professor Grieve grabbed her from behind. She had not heard him due to the ringing in her ears from the gun blast. He was powerfully strong. He wrapped his left arm around her waist and raised his right hand high, intending to slice her with the blood-smeared razor. She brought the barrel of the gun down onto his right thigh and pulled the trigger. The gun kicked out of her hand, fell to the ground, and bounced under the SUV. But Grieve let go. He stumbled back. She turned to see that he had dropped the razor and held his hands to the wound in his thigh. Then he glanced up, dark rage distorting his face. I'll make you pay for that, bitch. Peyton knew she wouldn't be able to find the gun in time. She grabbed the pitchfork she'd brought with her from the barn. She had leaned it against the explorer when she snatched the gun. She picked it up and rammed it into Grieve's stomach. She grimaced in disgust as she felt the tines crunch against his spine. He doubled over, glanced up at her, and tried to speak, but only blood poured from his mouth. He fell to his knees, then crumpled to the ground. She dropped down to look for the gun under the explorer. Before she could even catch sight of it, a leering face shot toward her. It was covered in blood, with wild eyes and a demonic smile. It was Marley. 
He grabbed her wrist and yanked her forward. She hit her head under the undercarriage, causing her vision to dim. Marley began pulling her under the car. She heard laughter and glanced over to see Lola creeping around the back of the explorer. Her chin and the front of her shirt were covered in gore. She was carrying the axe. Peyton tried to yank her arm from Marley's grasp, but he was too strong. She caught sight of Greaves' razor lying a couple feet away. She grabbed it and raked it across Marley's wrist. It cut deep into his flesh, severing the tendons in his wrist. He hissed and let go. She turned just as Lola lurched over her and raised the axe. Peyton groaned and pushed herself up with everything she had and jammed the razor under Lola's chin. Lola dropped the axe and fumbled at the razor's hand, but the blade had been forced deep into her skull, and she fell against the explorer, then onto the ground beside Greaves' body. Marley crawled out from under the explorer, the hand with the severed tendons gushing blood and flopping around helplessly. He growled with rage as he scrambled toward Peyton, she grabbed the axe and brought it down onto his back. He made a gurgling sound and fell silent. She caught sight of the gun and picked it up, then leaned against the explorer and cried. In part because she was terrified. In part because she was emotionally and physically drained. Her knees were weak and she was cold. Then she remembered Matt's gentleness, the gleam in his eyes, and Julio, his smile. She remembered how they were both good men. Anger sparked inside her, warming her, growing in intensity, flaring into a righteous call to action. There was still one more of them out there, the one in the yellow rain slicker, the tooth fairy. She was not safe until he was taken care of. She pushed herself away from the explorer, intending to search for him, but as she turned, he stood at the back of the SUV looking down at the bodies of the others. He looked up at her through the greasy hair that hung over his face. He charged her, not noticing that she held the gun. She fired a round into his thigh. He stumbled, nearly fell, reached out toward her, and she shot him in the other thigh. He fell to his knees, then rolled over onto his back. Suddenly, the scene was awash with alternating red and blue glow. Two cruisers from the sheriff's department came roaring up the overgrown drive. They had their sirens on, but she had not registered them due to her shock and the ringing in her ears from when she had fired the gun. They pulled to a stop, and two deputies jumped out of one cruiser, and Sheriff Cotton Mosley stepped out of the other. Mosley was a man of few words and an eye for details. He quickly took in the scene, then motioned for her to step over to him. The deputies ran over to the man in the rain slicker, rolled him over, and cuffed him. What happened? 
Mosley asked. Her tears had dried up, but they threatened to well up again. She fought them back. We were hired to show some kids how to be ghost hunters, and then we were attacked by these monsters. They killed Matt and Julio, and they tried to kill me. I, I promise I killed them in self-defense. I don't doubt that one bit, Mosley said. He was a man of average height, but exuded confidence and security. He removed his Stetson and wiped his brow with his forearm. At first, we thought these monsters were paranormal, Peyton said, but I, I became suspicious. It just wasn't adding up. Mosley watched as a deputy helped the man in the rain slicker into a sitting position. He stepped over and squatted down in front of the man. Peyton stood behind him. Mosley took a moment to look the man over, then reached out and grabbed a handful of his hair and tugged. This is a wig, he said. He removed the wig and Peyton gasped. You son of a bitch! Mosley glanced up at her. I take it you know him? Peyton's rage was white hot. It's Chuck. He's one of the kids that hired us. Mosley glanced back at Chuck. Explain, he said. Make it quick. Chuck was pale. He was clearly in shock from his wounds, but he looked at Peyton, twisted pride on his face. We set you up. We wanted you to think we were here to learn how to be ghost hunters. But really, we just wanted to kill someone. Even though he was in terrible pain, Chuck smirked. And we had the perfect plan. Explain, Mosley growled. Chuck looked at him, his smirk transformed into a painful grimace. We, we already knew the history of Nevermore Hollows, and we were going to use it to our favor. We could commit murder, and everyone would think it was paranormal. Peyton looked at the bodies. So, all of you were wearing costumes? Chuck nodded. Yes. We told you Melvin was on his way, but we'd come out earlier in the day and he was hiding in the closet, disguised as grieve. We had done our research and knew that the closet had a secret door. Melvin pretended to kill Shelley. They used pig's blood to sell it. Then they escaped through the secret passage. Peyton seethed. So what? Then Shelley ran to the mausoleum and dressed as Lucinda? Yes, Chuck said. And when I suggested that Matt and I go to the mausoleum, she killed Matt, made it look like she killed me. Then I put on this costume. But I saw Shelley use the axe on Lola, Peyton said. I saw it go into Lola's stomach. Chuck smirked again through the pain. Two different axes. The one used on Lola was fake. The one she tried to kill you with was real. 
We used fake blood for everything else. Peyton wanted to punch him in the face, smash his smirk into a bloody mess. You're sick, all of you. Just sick. Peyton allowed herself to be led by Mosley to his cruiser. He had his arm around her shoulders and she drew strength from him. She knew that this experience was a defining moment in her life. She could let it ruin her or she could let it give her purpose. As if on cue, Mosley said, You're a strong woman, Peyton. You handled yourself very well. You stopped them from ever hurting anyone else. She glanced back at the carnage. He was right. There was no telling how many others this group of sickos would have killed if she hadn't stopped them. And she decided right there that she would not let the deaths of Matt and Julio be simply horrific footnotes in her life. I won't let this ruin me. I know you won't, Mosley replied, sizing her up, looking at the resolve in her eyes. I'm going to use it to somehow help people, she said. Mosley gave her a knowing smile. I can see that, he said. And for what it's worth, I think you'd make a hell of a deputy.